And as we attempt to apply it to our lives, Lord, I pray you'd help me, help my mind not to be distracted. Lord, help me uh, to be able to say the things, Father, that you would have me to say. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, that your Holy Spirit would come upon me at this time. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Judges chapter number 9. And I'm sure you may have noticed, this is a very long chapter. 57 verses. And uh, it's an interesting story. What's interesting about it is that it's, it's probably one of the least uh, known stories in the book of Judges. Now, let me, let me say a couple things, okay? This morning, we preached on the subject of angels. And the Bible has a lot to say about angels. And I, I generally preach about an hour. And this morning, I preached closer to an hour and 15 minutes, alright? And uh, we'll do that from time to time, and it's okay. Uh, Some of you sit down and watch movies longer than that, you're fine. But um, this morning, what I'm going to attempt to do, okay, I'm going to attempt to... I want to go through the story, because I want to make sure you understand what's happening. And as we go through the story, I'll make a few spiritual applications, and it's not really to the end of the story that we can really make some uh, spiritual applications. So here's what we're going to do, alright? We're going to go through the story, make sure we all understand the context. We'll make a few spiritual applications a little bit at the beginning, mainly towards the end. And I think we can do it in about 30 minutes, alright? And if we do it in about 30 minutes, then I make, made up for the time that, uh, that I took, took this morning. Otherwise, it has to come out of your paycheck and it just gets confusing, alright? So, uh, no, right. I think we can do it. Okay, so let's just, I want you to understand this story. Most of you, you know, when you talk about the book of Judges, uh, you know, you ask people, uh, have you heard about Gideon? Most people raise their hand. You heard about Samson? Most people raise their hand. You even ask them, have you heard about Deborah the prophet? Most people raise their hand. When you're talking about Abimelech, in the book of Judges, you're more than likely not going to know uh, who Abimelech is because he's not a very well-known guy. But you've got to understand this, okay? Go back to Judges chapter number 8 and look at verse number 29. Judges chapter 8 verse 29. And Jeroboam... Now, do you remember Jeroboam is Gideon? Remember that? He was given the name Jeroboam because he threw down the altar of Baal. And uh, verse 29 there... And Jeroboam, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his, own, uh, in his own house. Okay, this is after Gideon has already won all his victories. Verse 30, and Gideon had, now get this, he had three score and ten sons. Now, a score is twenty. Alright? Remember Abraham Lincoln, four score and seven years ago? And he was talking about eighty-seven years? Okay, so Gideon had three score, that's sixty, and ten sons. So he had a total of seventy sons of his body begun. Why did he have so many sons? For he had many wives. And that was a sin in the Bible to, to be a polygamist. And we understand that. And I'm not going to preach about that tonight. So he had, he had 70 sons from his wives. But notice verse 31. And his concubine. So in the Bible they would have wives. And they would have concubines. And, and we'll, as we go through the story in, verse, in chapter 9. We'll get the definition of a concubine. And his concubine that was in Shechem. Do you see that? That's very important. His concubine came from Shechem. That's a city. She she also bare him a son, she so had 71 sons, whose name he called Abimelech, alright? Get down to verse number, uh, chapter number 9, verse number 1. And Abimelech, the son of Jerubal, now this is the son of the concubine who was from Shechem, and Abimelech, the son of Jerubal, went to Shechem unto his mother's, remember that's the concubines, unto his mother's brethren. 
and communed with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying... Now notice what he says to, to his brethren there in Shechem. He says, verse 2, Speak, I pray you, in the ears of all the men of Shechem, whether... Now he's going to give them a question here. He says, I want you to go to the men of Shechem, and I want you to ask them this question. Now notice the question he asks. He says, Is it better for you, either that all the sons of Jerubbaal, which are threescore and ten persons, reign over you, or that one reign over you. Did you catch the question? He said, is it better that 70 sons of Gideon reign over you, or is it better that one reign over you? Now, catch the, the little thing, little caveat he adds to that question. He says, remember also that I am your bone and flesh. Because who's he talking to? He's talking to the man at Shechem. Where's he from? Shechem. Okay, so he says, is it better for you that 70 men would rule over you? Or is it better for you that one man rule over you? And remember, we're family. You understand the question? Now here's what you got to understand, okay? Go, keep your finger here in Judges. Let me just show you a couple things. Go to Matthew chapter number 22. Matthew chapter number 22. I didn't show this to you in the angel sermon, but I'm going to show it to you now. And, uh, and, and it has to do with with Gideon, okay, so don't, it has to do with Judges, but, but it also goes with the angel sermon, so that'll be what, uh, we'll, we'll take care of two things here. Look at verse, uh, Matthew chapter number 22, look at verse number 23, Matthew chapter 22, verse number 23, the Bible says, the same day came to him the Sadducees, so if you remember, in the days of Jesus, there was uh, two main groups of religious leaders, there was multiple, but the two main ones we hear about in the Bible are the Pharisees, and then the other group that's mentioned a lot, not as much as the Pharisees, is the Sadducees. Okay? Now the Sadducees, they do not believe in the resurrection. They, do, they don't believe that bodies resurrect from the grave, that God will resurrect people. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in a lot of stuff like that. Okay? So look at verse 23. And the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection. Okay? So did you see that? The Sadducees believe, they teach, they say, there is no resurrection, and ask Him. So they're going to ask Him a question about the resurrection. Now here's what you're going to understand. They don't believe in the resurrection. Okay? So they're asking Jesus a question in the attempt to make Jesus look dumb. Because Jesus comes around preaching the resurrection. Jesus comes around saying, I am the resurrection. Jesus comes around teaching that men can be resurrected, their, their sins can be forgiven, and they don't believe in the resurrection. So they, 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 they get this idea, they say, let's go ask Jesus a question, and we'll make him look dumb. Notice the question they ask, verse 24. Saying, Master, Moses said, if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife, and raise up seed unto his brother. So they quote uh, 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 Old Testament law. They said, if a man marries a woman, he dies, and, and the woman has no children, then his brother, it is his brother's duty to marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now here's the question, okay? So that's the statement. Here's the question. Joshua, stop doing that. Verse 25. Now there were with us seven brethren. Now this is a hypothetical question. This is not a real question. But he says, there was with us seven brethren. And the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, and unto the seventh. And the last of all, the woman died also. Now, now listen, that is a very unlikely thing to happen. Do you understand what they're asking? They said there was this guy. He, had a, he married a wife. He died with no children. 
So then his brother married her, because that's what the law says. They died with no children. She ended up marrying every single one of his brothers, seven brothers. They all died, and she died, and none of them had any children. Now here's the question, verse 28. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? Of the seven. For they all had her. Now here's the thing. Okay, They're, they're trying to trip Jesus up. Because here's the thing. If, if, if they would have said, hey, listen, this woman was married to seven men, and she had a child with the third, in their minds they think, well, then Jesus would just say that the one that she had a child with, that's the one that she'd be married to in heaven. But they said, no, this woman was married to seven men and had children with none of them. They all died, she died. Who is she going to get married to? Now, they think they're pretty smart. Look at verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. He says, For in the resurrection they neither marry, nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. He said, they, they said, you're asking me, which one of these seven guys is she going to be married to? You don't even understand that the question shouldn't be, which guy she's going to be married to. The question should be, are people married in heaven? And Jesus says, if you would have read your Bible, you would know that people are not given to marriage in, in, in heaven. Do you understand the, the context? Okay, go to, uh, let's see, where do I want you? Go to Second uh, Timothy chapter number 2. Second Timothy. Here's what you got to understand, okay? These Sadducees come to Jesus asking him a question. The response of Jesus is, you're asking the wrong question. You got to understand this, okay? The devil would want nothing more than for us to waste our time debating about foolish questions when we're asking the wrong question. Are you following what I'm saying? Uh, do you have your finger there in, uh, in 2 Timothy? Are you in 2 Timothy? Keep your finger there. Go back to Judges. Let me show you something. Judges chapter number 9. Judges chapter number 9. Judges chapter number 9. Abimelech says, hey listen, let me ask you guys a question. Is it better that 70 men rule over you, or is it better that one man rule over you? That's the wrong question, Abimelech. The question shouldn't be, is it better that 70 men rule over you, or that one man rule over you? The question should be, should anyone be ruling over you? You understand that? Go, go back to Judges. Remember, uh, go to, uh, let's see if we can find this. I didn't write this in my notes, but I'm sure I can find it real quickly. Go to Judges chapter number uh, 8. Look at verse 22. Remember uh, Judges chapter 8, verse 22? And then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, they said to Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy sons, and thy sons' sons also, for thou hast delivered us from the land of Midian. Now notice Gideon's response, verse 23. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. See, Gideon had already answered the question. These people, this guy comes to Abimelech, and Abimelech comes to the man of Shechem. He says, look, which one is better? Sixty men rule over you, or one man rule over you? Now they should have said... Thou dost err, not knowing the scriptures. Because Gideon already said that Gideon won't rule, his sons won't rule, the Lord will rule. But here's what you got to understand. The devil wants nothing more than to have us asking questions when, when we're debating, well, should we do this or should we do that? And really, we're asking the wrong question altogether. Go, go to 2 Timothy, chapter number 2. 2 Timothy, chapter number 2, verse 23. Who's ever heard this? If you grew up in public school, you probably heard this. There's no such thing as a dumb question. Who's ever heard that? Yeah. I heard that my whole life. People say, ask a question. There's no such thing as a dumb question. I would uh, beg a differ. <laughs> yeah. There is a such thing as a dumb question. Yeah. Go to Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 23. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. Second Timothy 2, 23, the Bible says, But foolish and unlearned questions avoid. 
God says, there is a such thing as a foolish question. God says, there is a such thing as an unlearned question. And He said, you ought to avoid those type of questions. Knowing that they do gender strife. Do you see that? So you've got to understand this. Go back to Judges 9. The devil would want nothing more. See, pe- sometimes people come up to me saying, they'll, they'll say something like this, Pastor Jimenez, how long do you think that a divorced person should wait before they get remarried? And, and immediately in my head I think to myself, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking me how long you think someone should wait after divorce before they get remarried. The question you should be asking is, should someone that's divorced get remarried? And if you read the Bible, you'd know the answer is no. Amen. You understand that? Amen. Sometimes people come up to me and say, how long do you think we should be dating before we move in together? And I think to myself, you're, that's not the question you should be asking. The question you should be asking is, should two people that aren't married move in together? And if you read the Bible, you'd know that the answer is no. See, the devil wants to give us all these things to philosophize, to think about. Well, I think we should do this. Well, I think we should do that. If we got back to the Bible, we'd realize most of the time we're asking the wrong question. The question isn't, should 60 men rule over us or one man rule over us? The question is, should anybody rule over us? You understand that? Look at verse 3. And his mother's brethren spake unto him in the ears of all the men of Shechem. All these words, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. So, they ask the question, they, they answer the question, they say, well I guess we'd rather have this guy who's related to us. Verse 4. And they gave him three score and ten pieces of silver. So they gave him money. Now notice where they got the money from. Out of the house of Baal Bered. Do you see that? Now, as we've been studying through the book of Judges, you may remember Baal is a false god. And actually, Baal is Satan himself. Those who worship Baal were Satan worshippers. And all throughout the Bible, you find different mentions of, of, of Baal and with different uh, uh, endings, but it's always Satan. Remember, they even the Pharisees even called Jesus Baal Zebah. They were calling him Satan. And here, it says they took money out of Baal-Bereth, wherewith Abimelech, notice what he did, he hired vain and light persons which followed him. So he, fired, he, he got some shady characters, he got the money from the temple of Satan, hired some shady characters, vain and light persons, look at verse 5, and he went unto his father's house in Ophrah, now notice what he did. He slew his brethren, the son of Jeroboam. So he killed his own brothers, being threescore and ten persons. He killed seventy men, all his brothers. Now I want you to remember this. Upon one stone. Do you see that? You got you to gotta remember that. Now I don't want to get too gruesome tonight, but think about the fact the Bible says he killed seventy men upon one stone. That means he took one stone and one by one he took a man... And I don't know what he did, if he just kind of pounded their head into that or whatever till they died. But he took 70 men, and on the same stone, these 70 brothers died. Remember that. Notwithstanding, verse 5, Yet Jotham, the youngest son, so Jotham is, is uh, Gideon's youngest son, of Jerubbaal was left, for he hid himself. So he killed all the brothers, except the youngest one, because the youngest one hid. Verse 6, And all the men of Shechem gathered together, and all the house of Milo, and went and made Abimelech king. Do you see that? And they made Abimelech king by the plain of the pillar uh, that was in Shechem. So they made Abimelech king. Verse 7, And when they told it to Jotham, remember Jotham is the youngest son of 
of Jerubal, he's the youngest son of Gideon, and when they told it to Jotham, he went and stood in the top, in the top of Mount Gerizim. Okay? Now I don't have time to develop this, you can study this out on your own. But do you remember, the Mount Gerizim is a very important uh, mountain in the Bible. Do you remember there was two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim? Do you remember that? Remember we, uh, 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 Moses told Joshua, when you enter into the land, he said there's going to be two mountains, Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim. Mount Ebal represents the curses of God. Mount Gerizim represents the blessings of God. And he says, you need to go through and explain to the people that if they want to disobey God, they can live under the curse of God. If they want to be obedient to God, they can live under the blessing of God. Do you remember that Joshua did that? We, we studied that when we were in the book of jo- uh, Joshua. Remember, after they won the battle of Ai, Joshua brings the, the entire congregation, and he puts half of them on Mount Ebal, he puts half of them on Mount Gerizim, he reads all the curses of God that will come upon the disobedience, he reads all the blessings, remember the blessings, he said, I will make you the head and not the tail, okay? So, Mount Gerizim represents the blessing of God. This young man, Jotham, climbs up to the, to the Mount Gerizim, and lifted up his voice and cried, notice what he said, and said unto them, Hearken unto me, ye men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. Now in verse 8, Jotham begins to tell a story. Okay, it's like a, it's like a parable. You know how Jesus would tell parables? This didn't actually happen. He's just telling a story like Jesus would tell parables to get a point across. Jotham begins to tell them a story to get a point across. Look at verse 8. Notice what Jotham says. He said... The trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them. And they said unto the olive tree, Reign thou over us. So the trees decide, we want a king. They go to the olive tree, they say, Reign thou over us. Verse 9. But the olive tree said unto them, Should I leave my fatness, wherewith by me they honor God and man, and go to be promoted over the trees? He said, the olive tree said, I'm not interested in the job. He said, I got better things to do. Verse 10. And the tree said to the fig tree, Come thou and reign over us. And the fig tree said unto them, Should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit and go to be promoted over the trees? Then said the trees unto the vine, Come thou and reign over us. And the vine said unto them, Should I leave my wine which cheereth God and man and go to be promoted over the trees? So they asked three different trees. The olive tree, the fig tree, the vine... They said, hey, will you come reign over us? Will you be? And they, they all said this, I've got better things to do than reign over you. So notice in desperation, verse 14, Then said all the trees unto the bramble. Now the bramble is a low, uh, 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 a small, a low-lying, prickly uh, shrub. Okay? And they said the trees unto the bramble, verse 14, Come thou and reign over us. Now notice what they respond. And the bramble said unto the trees, If in truth ye anoint me king over you, then come, now notice what he says, and put your trust in my shadow, and if not, let fire come out of the bramble, and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now the cedars of Lebanon are these huge trees. The bramble is this little tiny thorny bush. And the trees come to this bramble bush, and they said, will you reign over us? And notice what he says. He says, put your trust in my shadow. Now it's a joke. The shadow of a bramble bush is like, you know, it's not very big. And and these huge trees are expected to put their trust under the shadow. Here's what Jotham is trying to tell these guys. He said, you didn't really pick the best guy to be your king. 
He said, you could have picked a better leader. He said, you could have got an olive tree. You could have got a fig tree. You could have got a a vine. But instead, you chose a bramble. Now here's what's interesting. Go to to Proverbs chapter 29. Look at verse 2. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 2. Proverbs 29, verse 2. You've got to understand this. Who we choose as leaders will affect the blessing that we have as followers. And I'm sorry this offends you. And it doesn't matter if they're a Democrat or, the, or a Republican. For the last few decades, we've had a whole lot of brambles in the White House in the United States of America. Amen. And for a lot of decades, we've had a whole lot of brambles standing behind pulpits as leaders of churches. Amen. And the Bible says in, in Proverbs 29, look at verse number 2, it says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the bramble, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Amen. It is very important who you choose to lead you. Leadership is influence. That's all it is. Is someone influencing you? Now here, at Very Baptist Church, you say, Pastor Jimenez, are you a leader? I don't know if I'm a leader, but I'm attempting to influence you. I'm attempting to teach you the Bible. I'm attempting to get you to to, to serve God and, and, and live for God with your life. But the problem is, when you get a bramble and you follow a bramble, now notice, how do you know if a bramble is bad? Here's what he says, put your trust in my shadow. You know what a bad leader does? Here's what a bad leader does. He gets you to trust him over God. The bramble says, put your trust in my shadow. Now that's a joke. The bramble's shadow is not very large. Go to Psalm 36, look at verse 7. Psalm 36, look at verse 7. Psalm 36 and verse number 7. The bramble says, put your trust in my shadow. But notice what the Bible says in Psalm 36 verse 7. Psalm 36 verse 7. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men, notice what it says, put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. You see that? The Bible says that our trust ought to come under the shadow of God, Almighty God. But you know what? You say, I can't believe that you say we have a bramble in the White House. You know how I know we have a bramble in the White House? He's trying to get us to put our trust under His shadow instead of our trust in the shadow of God. God says you ought to have the liberty to care for your family. God says you ought to have the liberty to go out and work hard and make money. God says you ought to have the liberty to be able to do certain things. We are created under God, Almighty God. And the brambles that we have in government today said, don't, don't, don't trust God, trust government. That's why, by the way, that's, that's the agenda. They want everyone dependent on the government. You know why? Because when you're dependent on the government, you belong to them. When you are dependent, see, when a leader tries to take the place of God, by the way, that's why at Verity Baptist Church, we preach the Bible. You say, if you ever come to Verity Baptist Church, Pastor Humanity starts preaching stuff that's not in the Bible, guess what? Get a new leader. But you know, the, you know the, the average church doesn't believe that. Go over to the Catholic Church. The, if the Pope says something that goes against the Bible, guess what? The Pope overrides the Bible. Because the Pope has taken the place of God. That's a bramble. Go to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Go to the Mormon. They're prophets. They're presidents. They override the Bible. The Bible, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. If our leader says it, no, no, no. It always must be God. But a bramble says, put your trust in my shadow. God says, no, put your trust in my shadow. And listen, the Bible says that God is higher than us. I'd rather have His shadow. 
It's a joke to tell a cedar tree to get shade under a bramble tree. It's a joke to tell a human being to trust their government or trust their politician or trust their religious leader when they ought to be trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He says, then said, go back to Judges chapter 9, verse 14. Then said all the trees unto the bramble, come thou and reign over us. And the bramble said unto the trees, If in truth ye anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. And if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Verse 16. Now therefore, if ye have done truly... Now, now Jotham is done telling a story. And now he brings the application. He says, Now therefore, if... That's a big if. If ye have done truly and sincerely, and that ye have made Abimelech king... And if ye have dealt well with Jerubbaal and his house, and have done unto him according to the deserving of his hands, for my father fought for you, and adventured his life far, and delivered you out of the hand of Midian, and ye are risen up against my father's house this day, and have slain his sons, threescore and ten persons, upon one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his maidservant, you say, what's a concubine? A concubine is a wife who was a slave. So when someone married a woman that was free, that was their wife. When someone married a maidservant, that's a concubine. He said, you've taken Abimelech, the son of his maidservant, king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if what you've done is right, then hey, I'm on the Mount Gerizim. I'm on the Mount of Blessings. God bless you. Look at verse 19. If ye then have dealt truly and sincerely with Jerubbaal. Now Jerubbaal is Gideon. But I like how he says the name, he uses the name Jerubbaal. You know why? He's reminding them. Remember the guy that threw down the altar of Baal? What does the name Jerubbaal mean? It means he who has a contention with Baal. That's a good name to have. If Baal is Satan... I mean, that'd be great if people called, you know, say, hey, that, there's a guy that has a contention with Satan. That's good. He says, if ye then have dealt truly and sincerely with Jerubbaal and with his house this day, then rejoice ye in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. He said, if, if what you've done is right, by killing the sons of my father, who fought for you, who, who, who gave his life for you, who, who, who brought you freedom, if what you've done is right, by taking 70, 70 men and, and, and killing them upon one stone, if you've done that, then praise the Lord, then rejoice. Look at verse 20. But if not, now notice, here's the curse that comes from Jotham. He says, but if not, let fire come out from Abimelech the bramble, and devour the men of Shechem, and the house of Milo, and let fire come out from the men of Shechem, and from the house of Milo, and devour Bimelech. And Jotham ran away, and fled, and went to Beersheba, I'm sorry, to Beer, and that's not a drink there, that's a city, okay? He turned to alcohol. <laughs> he went to Beer, and dwelt there, for fear of Abimelech, his brother. So Jotham shows up, he gives him his sermon, and then he's like, I'm out of here, because <laughs> they're going to kill me. Look at verse 22. When Abimelech had reigned three years over Israel. So you got to understand this. Jotham gets up says, Hey, listen. If you've done right, then God bless you. But if you've done wrong, he says, I'm going to put a curse on you. He said, I hope fire comes from, out from Abimelech and destroys Shechem. And I hope fire comes out from Shechem and destroys Abimelech. Now here's what you got to understand. Verse 22. When Abimelech had reigned three years over Israel. Three years is a long time. 
Three years is as long as Verity Baptist Church has been in existence. Three, you, sometimes you, you and I think, why is so-and-so getting away with their sin? Hey listen, God is patient and long-suffering. But don't confuse God's patience and long-suffering with His approval. You say, well, I, I, I committed the sin and nothing ever happened. It might take three years. But the Bible says when Abimelech had reigned three years over Israel, then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. Isn't that interesting? God sent an evil spirit. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously. The word treacherously means like they were traitors. They were in treason. The men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. Now these are the guys that put him in power. Now they're at odds. Look at verse 24. That the cruelty done to the three score and ten sons of Jeroboam might come and their blood be laid upon Abimelech their brother which slew them and upon the men of Shechem which aided him in the killing of his brethren. And the men of Shechem set liars in wait for him in the top of the mountains and they robbed all that came along that way by them and it was told Abimelech. So now Shechem and Abimelech are, are at odds with each other. The men of Shechem are robbing the men of Abimelech. Verse 26, we enter a new character in the story. And Gael, this is a new character, okay? The son of Ebed came with his brethren and went over to Shechem. And the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. It looks like these guys in Shechem will just run and follow just about anyone. Verse 27, and they went out into the fields and gathered their vineyards and trove the grapes and made merry and went. Now notice where, notice where they went. And went into the house of their God and did eat and drink and cursed Abimelech. So they go to the house of their God and they're getting drunk in the house of their God. And while they're getting drunk, they're cursing their king Abimelech. Verse 28. And Gael, the son of Ebed, said, now notice what he says. He says, who is Abimelech? And who is Shechem, that we should serve him? Is not he the son of Jerubbaal? Now make note of this, okay? And Zebul, his officer, he said, he said, Abimelech's not that tough. He said, who's Abimelech? Isn't he the son of Jerubbaal? Isn't Zebul, his officer? Serve the men of Hamer, and the father of Shechem. Now notice what he says, For why should we serve him? And would to God this people were under my hand. Then would I remove Abimelech, and he said to Abimelech, so he puts out this, this, uh, this, this uh, dare to Abimelech, where he puts out this message to Abimelech. He, he said, and he said to Abimelech, increase thine army and come out. Now you got to understand, this guy's drunk. When people are drunk, they say a lot of dumb things. Amen. But this guy comes out and he, said, he tells Abimelech, increase your army. He says, who's Abimelech? Now remember, look at verse 28. He says, who's Abimelech? And who is Zebul his officer? Zebul works for Abimelech. The officer. Look at verse 30. And when Zebul, the ruler of the city. So Zebul is like the mayor of Shechem. He works for Abimelech. Gael got drunk, started cursing Abimelech, and started cursing Zebul, because Zebul works for Abimelech. Are you following the story? Look at verse 30. And when Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gael, the son of Eben, his anger was kindled. And you can understand why. 
And he sent messengers unto Abimelech privately, saying, Behold, Gael, the son of Ebed, and his brethren, become to Shechem, and behold, they fortify the city against it. So, Zebul sends a message to Abimelech. He says, Hey, look, there's this guy Gael over here, and they, they want to fight. They're fortifying the city against you. Verse 32. Look, notice what he says. Now, therefore, up by night, he says, Hey, these guys are getting drunk. Tomorrow, they're going to be hung over. You get, get down here tonight. He said, now therefore, up by night, thou and the people that is with thee, and lie in wait in the field. He said, you come out here at night, you hide in the field, and it shall be that in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, thou shalt rise early, and set up the city. And behold, when he and the people that is with him come out against thee, then mayest thou do to them, as thou shalt find occasion. He says, you, come, you get here tonight, you hide in the field, and tomorrow morning, when those guys are feeling the effect of their drunkenness, you can, you can beat them, and, and not have to deal with this issue later on. Verse and Abimelech rose up and all the people that were with him by night and they laid wait against Shechem in four companies. So he brings four companies of armies. Verse 35. And Gael, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entering of the gate of the city. Now you got to understand, Gael gets up in the morning, goes out to the front door of the city, of the wall, and Abimelech rose up and the people that were with him from lying in wait. So he, he goes out there, Abimelech gets up, all the guys that are hiding get up. Look at verse 36. And when Gael saw the people, he said to Zebul, so he goes to the, 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 the mayor of the city, the ruler of the city. He said to Zebul, behold, there come people down from the top of the mountains. He says, hey, I went out there and I, it looks like there's a bunch of people out there coming down from the mountains. Now notice what Zebul says, because whose side is Zebul on? It's on Abimelech's side. Look what he says. And Zebul said unto him, Thou seest the shadows of the mountains as if they were men. Do you understand what's going on? If sometimes you read the Bible and you don't really slow down to see it. You see the human character. Gael says, Hey, I went out there and I saw an army waiting for us. And Zebul says, Ah, you're seeing things. <laughs> he said, you, you see the shadows of the mountains as if they were men. He's like, you're just, you're just seeing shadows. What's he doing? He's trying to buy time for his guy, right? Look verse 37. And Gael spake again. And said, See there, come people down by the middle of the land, and another company come along by the plains of Meonim. Now he says, look, I'm not seeing things. I, there's an army out there. Now notice what Zebul says. Verse 38. Then said Zebul unto him. Notice what he says. Where is now thy mouth? Wherewith thou saidest, who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? Is not this the people that thou hast despised? Go out, I pray, there, uh, I pray now, and fight with him. Here's what he says. He's, he's on him. You, you sounded tough last night. He says, where is now thy mouth? He said, you're, you're talking about Abimelech. Like, you can just go take, you can go whip that guy. He said, go out and fight him. Look verse 39. And Gael went out before the men of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him and he fled him before him. And many were overthrown and wounded even unto the entering of the gate. And Abimelech dwelt at Aruma. And Zebul thrust out Gael. Gael tries to get back in the city. Zebul says, you're not coming back in here, buddy. You better go fight your battle. And Zebul thrust out Gael and his brethren, that they should not dwell in Shechem. And it came to pass on the morrow that the people went out into the field, and they told Abimelech, 
And he took the people and divided them into three companies and laid wait in the field and looked and behold the people were come forth out of the city and he rose up against them and smote them and Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood in the entering of the gate of the city and the two other companies ran upon all the people that were in the field and slew them and Abimelech fought against the city all that day and he took the city and slew the people that were therein and beat down the city and sowed it with so I mean Abimelech whipped these guys. He won that battle, and by the way, I didn't, I'm not going to make my 30 minute mark, right? just to let you know. But he, he, bust, he, bought, he fought that battle, and I mean, it was a decisive victory. Look, look at the last part of verse 45. And sowed it with salt. Not only did he win the battle, he destroyed the city, and then he went out in their field, and he put salt on their field. You know what that does? Destroys the field. They can't grow crops anymore. I mean, Abimelech is going to teach these guys a lesson. Look at verse 46. And when all the men of the tower of Shechem... Okay, so you got the men of Shechem heard that. Notice what they do. They enter into an hold of the house of the god Bereth. Now, if you remember early in the passage, that was Baal Bereth, right? So the guys of Shechem, they realize, we're losing this battle. So they all run to the house of the god of Bereth. And it was told to Abimelech that all the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. And Abimelech got him up to the Mount Zamon. And he and all the people that were with him. And Abimelech took an axe. So here's what you understand. Abimelech, I mean, he is, he is thirsty for blood. He wants to destroy these people. He wins the battle. They all run and hide. And they are hiding in the house of the god uh, Bereth, of the, of the false god Baal Bereth. And, and Abimelech says, I know how to take care of this. Look at verse 48. And Abimelech got him up to Mount Zamon. He and all the people that were with him. And Abimelech took an axe. In thy hand, and cut down a bow from the trees, and took it, and laid it on his shoulder, and said unto the people that uh, were with him, uh, that were with him, what ye have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. So here's what he says. He, he's a, the, the guys are all they're in that tower. They're all hiding in the house of the god of Beerus. And Abimelech says, I know what to do. He takes an axe, goes over to a tree, cuts down a bow, cuts down a limb, grabs a big old limb, puts it on his shoulder, walks over to the to, to where all those men are, puts that limb right in front of the door there, and he tells all the soldiers, he says, What you've seen me do, do do the same thing. All those guys grab axes, they go off, they cut off limbs of trees, and they put tree uh, limbs all around the tower of that god Beerus. Look at verse 49. And all the people likewise cut down every man his bow and followed Abimelech and put them to the hold. Now notice what they did. They put wood all around it and set the hold on fire. Do you see that? Upon them. So that all the men of the tower of Shechem died also about a thousand men and women. So all the men of Shechem are in this tower. All these men of Shechem are in the house of this false god. They all be red. They put wood all around it. They set it on fire. Do you remember what Jotham said? Go, go, back, go back to uh, verse number 16. I, I'm sorry. Uh, verse number 14. Then said all the trees unto the bramble, Come thou and reign over us. And the bramble said unto the trees, If in truth you anoint my king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. And if not, let fire come out of the bramble. Who's the bramble? Abimelech. And devour the cedars of Lebanon. Who are the cedars of Lebanon? The men of Shechem. Look at uh, Jotham, uh, verse uh, 20. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem. Did Abimelech just kill all the men of Shechem with fire? Yes, he did. Isn't that interesting? 
Now there's a spiritual application here, okay? And you guys just, just stay with me. These men run to the tower of a false god. Let me tell you something. Today, there are two ways of believing. People, people often say to me, well, you know, how do you know that your religion is the right religion? There's, so, there's thousands of religions. It's not true. There's not thousands of religions. There's two ways of believing. You either believe that you are saved by grace through faith, not of works. It's not dependent on you. It's not depending on you getting yourself saved or keeping yourself saved. Or you believe what everyone else believes, which is in a work salvation. Every religion in the world believes in a work salvation. The Catholics tell you, you got to live a good life. You got to confess to the, to the priest. You got to get catechized. You got to get baptized. The Mormons tell you, you got to live a good life. The Pentecostals tell you, you got to repent of your sin. The, all these religions, all of them tell you. They tell you, you can't have it. You can't keep it. You got to do a good life. You got to repent of your sin. You got to go to church. You got to do this. Let me tell you something. There's only one religion in the world. Uh, the, the, all the religions are the same. It's either works or it's grace. That's it. And all the religions that say you can save yourself based on your works, guess what? That's a religion of Satan. Satan came up with that. Satan was the one in the Garden of Eden that said to Eve, Hey, you can be like God. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Any religion that tells you that you can be good enough to attain the glory of God is telling you you can be like God. Satan said that. These men, and here's what you got to understand. This is a picture. These men run to the tower of Baal Bereth, run to the tower of false religion, run to the tower of believing in a false god. And what happens? They get burnt up. And all men today that are putting their trust in a false god, a false religion, a false gospel, will end up getting burnt up in a place called the Lake of Fire. Now here's what's interesting. Look at verse number 50. Then went Abimelech to Thebes. Now Thebes is a new location. We've just seen in this passage. Did Joash say anything about Thebes getting burnt up? No, he did not. Now notice, then went Abimelech to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and took it. Abimelech's not done. He says, I killed those she- the, the men of Shechem and I'm going to go over to this uh, place Thebes and I'm going to take it too. Now look at verse 51. But there was a strong tower, make note of those words, strong tower within the city. And hither fled all the men and women, and all they of the city, and shut it to them, and got them up to the top of the tower. Now doesn't it sound similar to what just happened? They get to, they, 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 they see Abimelech coming, they run to the strong tower. Okay, now that, those words are not there by mistake. Go to Proverbs chapter 18, look at verse 10. Proverbs chapter number 18, verse number 10. The strong tower, those words, are not used very much in our Bible. And they're put there by God to illustrate something to us. The strong tower, Proverbs 18, look at verse 10. The Bible says this, Proverbs 18, 10. Proverbs chapter number 18 and verse 10. The name of the Lord is a what? Strong tower, do you say? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is saved. Do you see that? Now you got to understand this, okay? Go back to Judges chapter 9. You got two cities. You got Shechem. They run in for, for safety, for salvation. They run into the tower of false religion. What happens? They get burnt up. The men of Thebes 
run into the strong tower. The name of our Lord is a strong tower. They run to the tower that represents God Almighty God. They run to the tower that represents the Lord Jesus Christ. What happens to them? Look at verse 51. But there was a strong tower within the city. And hither fled all the men and women, and all they of the city, and shut it to them, and got them up to the top of the tower. So they run to the strong tower. They run to God. That's what it represents. Look at verse 52. And Abimelech came unto the tower and fought against it and went hard unto the door of the tower and uh, to burn it with fire. So Abimelech shows up. He says, oh, I know what to do. These guys want to run the tower? Let's just set this one on fire like we set the other one on fire. But there's a difference. Look at verse 53. And a certain woman, I want you to remember that. A certain woman cast a piece of millstone. Do you see that? Now the millstone, or the stone, or the rock, also represents something in Scripture. Go to Daniel, chapter number 2. Daniel, chapter number 2. Daniel, chapter number 2. Look at verse number 34. Daniel, chapter 2, verse 34. Remember when King Nebuchadnezzar had the vision of that image that represented the, the different governments of this world? Daniel, chapter number 2, verse number 34. At the end of that vision, the Bible says, Thou sawest till that a stone, do you see that? Was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. That stone, the Bible says that there is a stone that was not cut with hands, that will come and will destroy the government of this world, including the Antichrist and including Satan himself. So you got to understand this, and I don't have time to develop it tonight. You study it on your own. A stone and a rock, a rock throughout the Bible, is always a representation of Jesus Christ. Go back to Judges, chapter number 53. And a certain woman cast a piece of millstone upon Abimelech's head, and all two break a skull. You say, what's the difference between running to the tower of false religion, and running to the strong tower of the Lord. The difference is that the stone that's not cut with hands, the Lord Jesus Christ will protect this tower, and this tower will end up burnt up. See, it is a picture of salvation. It is a picture of, uh, 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 of end times prophecy, but let me take it a step further. Go to Genesis chapter 3. We saw this in uh, Judges chapter 5. Genesis chapter number 3. Let's look at it again. Remember verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 15. Genesis chapter 3. Verse number 15. Genesis 3.15. Remember what God says to the serpent and the woman? Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Now notice, God says, I'm going to put enmity between the seed of the woman and between the seed of the serpent. It shall bruise thy head, the seed of the woman will bruise the head, and thou shall bruise his heel. Now we know that Satan bruised the heel of Jesus on Calvary. He gave him a temporary wound. When you get, a, when you get bruised in the heel, that doesn't kill you. It may hurt you for, I don't know, three days. But Jesus Christ came back. Some of you get that. But it won't kill you. But the Bible says... That the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent and it will give it the blow of death. Go back to Judges chapter 9, look at verse 3. And a certain what? 
woman cast a piece of a millstone. So a woman takes a stone. The woman represents Eve. The stone represents Jesus Christ. Upon Abimelech, who represents Satan's head. Do you see that? The bruise to the head. And all to break his skull. Let me give, let me give you something else. Go, look at Judges chapter 9. Look at verse 5. Judges chapter 9, verse 5. Judges 9, verse 5. And he, talk about Abimelech, went unto his father's house at Ophrah, and slew his brethren, the son of Jerubbaal, being threescore and ten persons, upon one what? He killed his brothers on a stone. How does Abimelech die? By a stone. Let me tell you something. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It may take three years, Abimelech. You may think, I got away with it. Joke that he doesn't know what he's talking about. All that story's about the trees and the fire. He doesn't know. Let me tell you something. You kill 70 men with a stone, God's going to make sure you die with a stone. Verse 54. Then he called hastily unto the young man, his armor bearer, and said unto him, Draw thy sword and slay me. Now, I, can I, I just want to show you this. And please, I, I know I, I, I went way over. I'm going to owe you guys. But Abimelech takes a stone to the head. Breaks his skull. He knows he's going to die. Verse 54. Then he called hastily unto the young man, his armor bearer, and said unto him, Draw thy sword and slay me. He tells his armor bearer, Kill me. Why? Notice what he says. That man say not of me, a woman slew him. These guys, it was not an honorable thing to die in battle at the hand of a woman. You understand that? And they, he said, look, can you, he told his armor bearer, can you kill me right now so people don't say? He's worried about his legacy. Why? Because he's a bramble. He's a politician. <laughs> he's worried about what people are going to say about him. He says, kill me right now. That man say not of me, a woman slew him. Go to 2 Samuel chapter number 11. 2 Samuel chapter number 11. 2 Samuel chapter number 11. We're, we're almost done. I, I know. I'm, I lied. I'm going to ask your forgiveness, and then I'll ask Jesus to forgive me. Praise God for eternal security, you know what I mean? <laughs> 2 Samuel chapter number 11. Look at verse 18. Do you remember this story? Remember King David has committed adultery with Bathsheba and ordered the death of her husband, Uriah the Hittite? David sends a message by the hand of Uriah to his general Joab, and he says, he tells Joab, make sure Uriah dies in battle. Verse 18. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war. So Joab the general is sending a report to David the king, and he's telling him about how the war is going. Verse 19. And charge the messenger, because he things aren't going well. And charged the messenger, saying, When thou hast made an end of telling the matter of, uh, of the war unto the king, and if so be that the king's wrath arise... Now, Joab is telling the messenger, he says, when you get done telling the king everything that is going on, he's probably going to be upset, because we're not winning. He says, verse 20, And if so be the king's wrath arise, and he say unto thee, Wherefore approaches ye so nigh unto the city? When he did fight, 
Now notice, notice what Joab is anticipating that David is going to throw to his face. He says, Wherefore approaches ye uh, 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 unto the city when ye did fight? Notice what he says, what David is going to say. Knew ye not that they would shoot from the wall? Look at verse 21. They're bringing this up. Who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerubesheth? Did not a woman cast a piece of a millstone upon him from the wall, and he died at Thebes? So here's what's interesting. Joab says to the, to the messenger, he says, look, when you tell the king what's going on, he's not going to be happy. And he's going to tell you, why did you get so close? Don't you remember what happened to Abimelech? So here's what's interesting. Abimelech is worried about what they're going to say about him. He says, hey, kill me right now, so they don't say that a woman killed me. But what are they saying about him years and years later? Don't you remember Abimelech? A woman killed him. <laughs> You won't get away with your sin. I'm worried about my legacy. God will make sure that the, the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. He said, who smote Abimelech? Verse 21. The son of Jerubasheth. Did not a woman cast a piece of a millstone upon him from the wall, and he died in Thebes? Why then went ye nigh the wall? And of course, if you know the story of David, then say thou, so Joab is telling the servant, then say thou, thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So you got to understand this. Abimelech is worried about what they're going to say about him. He says, go back to Judges chapter uh, 9, verse 54. Then he called hastily unto the young man, the armor bearer, and said unto him, Draw thy sword and slay me, that man say not of me, a woman slew him. And what are people, what is he known for? He's known for the fact that he came near to a tower, and a woman dropped a uh, uh, millstone upon his head and killed him. Verse 55, And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man into his place. Now here's what you guys said. I believe this is the key phrase of this entire story. This, this crazy, isn't that a crazy story? Say, why did God put this in the Bible? Here's why. I believe it's for this phrase, verse 56. Thus, God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech. Let me tell you something. God will make sure that in this life, we will reap what we sow. And God just wanted to make sure that it went down in history, that God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech, which he did unto his father, in slaying his seventy brethren, and all the evil of the men of Shechem, did God render upon their heads, and upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbaal. Let me tell you something, God sees everything we do. It may take three years, but God will make sure to balance the scares, Scales. I believe the, the key phrase of this whole crazy chapter is thus God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech. God always makes sure that we pay what we owe. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray you'd bless the sermon tonight as we studied the passage. I know it was a very long chapter and a long, a lot of explaining, but Father, I pray, Lord, you would help us to be able to apply these truths to our lives and to realize we can't mock at God, we will reap what we sow. But also to get excited about the fact that a woman one day did have a millstone, a stone not cut with human hands, the Lord Jesus Christ, and one day he's going to bruise the head of Satan. Father, I pray you'd help us to rejoice in that, to realize that we must run to that strong tower to the faith in Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord, in your precious name, I pray. Amen.